Welcome to God's Planning, Contemplative Preachers, Contemporary Age. Each week, join the Dominican Friars as they consider all things Catholic. Welcome to God's Planning. I am Father Gregory Pine, and I am joined here by the one, the only, Father Bonaventure Chapman. Father Bonaventure, how are things? Not bad. I was going to say I'm Father Patrick Mary Briscoe, and I have no idea why I was going to say that, um, but they're they're going well. <laughs> Nice. I mean, sometimes the spirit moves one to misidentify him or herself, and on such occasions, you just got to go with it, because if it's noticeably jocular, then it doesn't actually count as a sin. Wait, maybe. It's hard to say. Correct. Yeah, it is tough to say. It's like white magic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how are things in Washington, D.C.? Not bad. It's, uh, you know, got some snow finally, so it's nice to see a little bit down there. Not too much, but a couple inches and such, and, uh, you know, it's conducive to reading indoors, so that's that's beneficial. Nice, especially this time of year. Does the um does the type of literature that you consume change seasonally? Like, are you are you predisposed to Russian novels in winter, and then to like light-hearted English novels in the summertime, or what 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 goes on there? That's you know, I wish I was. I no, I generally just read the same things to regardless of time. <laughs> literature is eternal to me. Um, and I don't pay too much attention to seasons as well. Although I do, I did spend more time this fall trying to fall, fall out or something. Like I tried to fall as a verb better Uh because I always want to fall to be a great time. And I always feel like I I miss it out. But this time, um, with the help of one of the student brothers here, uh, brother Charles Rooney, shout out. Um, we helpfully fell out together in a sense. And there was, you know, candy corn at various moments and, you know, leaves placed in boxes. And I just, I reflected, I walked a little more outside, so it was great. Nice. Okay. Well, kudos to yeah. you for your seasonal appropriateness. Um, yeah. I suppose when we uh, do film and or literature episodes in the future, maybe we can make seasonal associations. Although I think that we'll probably never return to this conversation or think about it again in our lives. Um, we tend to do like nihilistic stuff. So winter is kind of the always season that we talk about, I suppose. We should, you know, we should probably do some sort of like kids book, uh, literature one too, but that could get dark and super weird too. So maybe we shouldn't. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was thinking in terms of seasonal books, I, I have like one seasonal memory of reading Farmer Boy during the winter and he describes himself like trundling through huge snowdrifts and wherever it was, I don't know, someplace where a little house is on a prairie in some place. Um, so that for me is a happy association, but I feel like, you know, you're never going to get that back. That only happens once and everything after that is just, you know, nihilistic death decks. So we should probably be true the to our pa- experience. <clears throat> yeah. The past never comes back. You can't get it, <laughs> even though you want it and it's better. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. So for this episode, um, as all those who have clicked on it or tapped on it or had it conveyed to them by means other than automatically, uh, will have discovered is about, uh, swearing or cursing. Uh, or using foul language, I guess. So mm. just to cover our bases. Um, so uh, the question is posed, is swearing a sin? Uh, not merely because we are interested in asking what is permitted and what is forbidden so we can walk as closely to the line without tripping over it, but really to get, a, get at like what's going on there. Because as is the case with most things that are tempting and may or may not be good, if it is tempting, it's for a reason, right? And whenever you choose something, you choose something under the aspect of a good, okay? So maybe, you know, just to start, we can we can kind of throw uh, some things on the wall. So get out some phenomenological thoughts about swearing. Um, mm-hmm. Like what was one's experience of it? Maybe like how was it treated at home without, you know, throwing anyone under the bus? 
And uh, like, what impression does that in general leave as we kind of get the conversation started? Hey, you started up. Yeah. What was, uh, was, was your house a swear fest is what you're asking me, right? <laughs> uh, no, I think you, I mean, you, you, you were like raised United Church of Christ. So I can't imagine that such like things were tolerated, but was swearing treated in especially censorious fashion in your home? No, I, I think, uh, so, I mean, I guess swearing is such first makes distinctions, as you said, like swearing, foul language. I think we mean, so we all, you know, because there is a prohibition against swearing in the scriptures, right? But it doesn't mean, I think we're going to, or maybe we're just forestalling all of this. Like we're talking about the foul, salty sailor talk, right? Yeah, exactly. That's what we're, that's talking, what we're about talking about here. Yeah. So, and whether that's, because we know like, yeah, taking oaths and all this sort of thing, but yeah, swearing, um, and it, I know I don't think it was that particularly. Well, I don't think we really used it that much per se. Although we weren't that attentive, like watching movies, for instance. I don't think foul language when I was growing up was ever something we worried about, or like our my parents ever mentioned in 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 when we were choosing like what movies to watch or that sort of thing. So it was kind of a, uh, I don't know. It was less of a important factor in one's moral development mm. i think um that's just an initial feeling on that yeah I, I think that's good like like you said um you know distinctions to be drawn was were my parents very hard on the taking of oaths no um <laughs> <laughs> or or the lord's name in vain yeah, right it's, like it's that's a whole different ball game that was unconscionable in our family like if you did that i was right, like that's similar it was like what you know, drunk stork dropped you down this chimney because you are certainly not our child. Get thee right. out. Um, yeah. So we're talking just about, you know, the aforementioned rosy language. And I think, I mean, you know, uh, in grade school, uh, we discovered it. And um, then we discovered that it was bad because when you said it at home, you got like a little bit of palm olive on your tongue. This is not like Ooh. occasion to call 1-800-4-CHILD. My parents are good and kind. Um, but, you know, we were discouraged from it in pretty, yeah. you know, in pretty strict wow. fashion. Uh, but it wasn't something that my parents dwelt on. It wasn't like, all right, kids, when you grow up, I want you to love the Lord, you know, really focus on sanctity and never say bad words. It was kind of of secondary importance, I suppose. Um, but then I remember, you know, like third, fourth, fifth grade, as everyone else in school learned swear words or curse words, thinking like, huh, this seems to be the thing that people who are good at football do. So now I am conflicted because it seems like I have a choice between not swearing and being bad at football or saying bad words and being good at football. Uh, I don't know if I ever like worked through that, you know, syllogism, mm. but, um, but I remember it being, becoming something that everyone did, at which point I had my first philosophical thoughts about cursing. So we're just going to, we're just going to deepen those philosophical thoughts at this point, maybe even make them theological. Um, <clears throat> so can you maybe set us up a little bit? To think about, uh, to kind of set the stage for uh, a more in-depth conversation about what it means or what it signifies and how it fits in our life or doesn't, as it were. What would be like, um, I don't know, some some first principles when thinking about these things? I think the, at least in my mind, when I when I ask myself when I swear or how I swear, or whether it's right to swear, the first thing is wh what is speech for? I guess is what is it supposed to uh, convey? What's the point of speech? Uh, so. It's about it's about expressing something, but speech, of course, is about truth as well. So it's about telling telling the truth. Um, so that's first what the the function of speech is important, and then that's so that's kind of a philosophical or phenomenological uh, reflection. But then there's also then to bring in um, biblical injunctions. You could say this is the setting, I suppose, that we 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 have um, with 
what does the Lord think about? What does speaking say about the Lord? What does the Lord want to do us to do with our tongues? Um, and and all of that, those reflections. So I think that you have a kind of a, a philosophical, you know, function of speech. Uh, then you have a biblical setup of are there particular commandments or particular comments or particular experiences or revelations you could say in the from the scriptures we have on this and then a deeper finally the theological reflection setting up in well what do words mean and this is kind of returning back to the philosophical through the biblical as theological and talking about how do we think now that all sounds like extremely complex and abstract and dense and such but i think we can kind of start to unpack that a bit yeah no, just maybe just taking point by point. So the first one being, yeah. you know, what's the purpose of speech? We are set above the beast by virtue of the fact that we can communicate. Well, we're set above the beast in a variety of ways. But one of the ways in which we're set above the beast is that we can communicate uh, with language. And as a result of which, we can get real fine-tuned about what it is that we're doing. <clears throat> um, I remember coming across an article in the Summa where St. Thomas is talking about the sacraments and how they signify. And he says, with sacraments, he says, you got you to have words, you know, you got to have words, because otherwise, you don't, you don't quite know what the person's doing. So you can wash somebody for all kinds of reasons, right? It might just be that they have, I don't know, ashes on their forehead, and you're trying to wash them off. Or it may be that you are, you know, like playing a joke, or it may be that you just won the Super Bowl, and you're putting water from a Gatorade container on your coach's head. Um, but when you say, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, you signify something very concrete. Uh, and you signify something that's sacramental, that conveys grace. So we have this great dignity of being able to use speech. And it has all of these, um, you know, to talk about them as applications, as I suppose, is yeah, kind of uninspiring. But um, the purpose for which can be very exalted, you know, like we can edify, we can praise, we can you know, say true things that maybe other people haven't yet said before. Like we can expand the base of human, not we can do all kinds of cool stuff. Um, and so there's this sense that, that with, huh, am I about to quote Spider-Man's uncle? I don't think so. Actually, I'm going to pass up the opportunity. So given the fact that we have this capacity, we should, you know, we should use it well. Yeah, I think it's, a sense of what you think language we often think is well just describing stuff we use different words but actually words are what express our thoughts and then draw us into a community of being and truth so being sensitive to the moral valence of words and how how we speak that it has a sort of directionality if we're being augustinian about things we could say our love is our weight well in a sense our our words are the expressions of our love, so our words are what draw us either as a community and ourselves as we talk to ourselves, right, um, upward to good things or downward. I mean, this, you could make psychological reflections and think about your own self-speeches and all the negative criticism that people sometimes have, cognitive distortions, I'm really bad at things, I'm worthless, I'm all this. And you could read that morally and say you're, you know, is that, that's that's actually bad. It's morally bad. Now, don't go to confession and go like, hey, I have negative self-thoughts, this sort of thing. But as you reflect on you as a flourishing being, that's taken away from you because it's one, speaking untruth. No one's worthless, right? And two, it's it's drawing you into this abyss of, of, of malice towards yourself, self-hatred and such. And our words do that, though, and especially with, with the community. This is why there is there is a moral aspect to words because, as St. Thomas says, they they describe, they direct, they picture, they make more clear what is actually going on with us. Human beings without words aren't really human beings. You know, I mean, even Descartes points this out in the discourse. Let me, 
of of method. He says the difference between a parrot and a human being is, well, human beings speak. You know, most people think it's Red's cogitons for him, but actually language is where he thinks the, the significant difference lies, which is due to that. So I think that's, yeah, that, that there's a moral thing because words can draw us away from the good of ourselves and of our community. And that's why even if, for instance, when we talk about swearing, uh, to get this back on that, on this concrete, um, even if it's not directly prohibited, for instance, like the Lord never says, don't you, here's a list of words the Lord says don't use. Uh, other than his own name, right? Well, as long as it's not beyond beyond his own name, as long as we're not swear using his own name and taking his name in vain, then it's all good. Well, no, language is more complicated than that, and you could there. There's a reasonable to say that there's a moral aspect to how we describe the community life, whether we're drawing ourselves up or down mm-hmm. through that. Yeah, and I like this, the, like the communal dimension. Um, you can think about language as a kind of currency. In the sense, not 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 to think in overly transactional or um, contractual terms, but in the sense that like we deal in language, and as a result of which, you know, we don't want to debase our language. We're already like kind of leading into some arguments for or against swearing. If this to you sounds slightly moralistic, know that we're trying to convince ourselves as well. Um, <clears throat> but um, yeah, with with like with respect to the social good that is at stake, right? You want it so that the the discourse that you traffic in is as good as your nature, you know? So, okay, we're made to the image and likeness of God. Part of our being made to the image and likeness of God is having a mind and a heart. And language is one of the most excellent ways by which we give expression to what's in our mind or what, you know, what's in our heart. And it, it should reflect, you know, like the kind of, um, you know, like you were describing this, this kind of upward trajectory um, that we, that we have kind of marked on us as it were, you know, like we aspire to great things. And, um, if you debase your currency, then you can't really expect much in the way of rich exchange. Um, that's not entirely sussed out, but I think that's the beginning of something to talk about language in terms of like social good. Yeah. Um, so then one more thought maybe before the break is just to bring it fully into the theological realm is to talk about the fact that, uh, the Lord reveals himself as, the word, right? So the beginning of the Gospel of John, uh, the Lord is spoken of as a pre-existent word. He, he goes forth from the Father as the, the kind of the intelligibility of the Father. So he is a word spoken from all eternity. And as a result of which, something of our language actually like makes us like Jesus or makes us like the second of the Holy Trinity. Can you, can you say more concrete things about that? We could try. Um, there's some I mean, words in creation, like God. God speaks forth this sort of thing. Um, in at least C.S. Lewis versions of it, in Narnia, he's singing this, but it's with words. And so our words have the ability to re-describe, you could say, a reality and to re-image it um, as the image of God. And so. We participate with our words. If he's the word who provides, and of course, word logos is reason, intelligibility, right? He's the intelligibility of the world. Then we, as we speak uh, truly, speak truthfully, image him forth and bring an intelligibility to the world that otherwise isn't there. So the Tower of Babel, of course, is the opposite, the antithesis of this, where no one has the same language like they're they're spread out in the world after the tower of ba- they're trying to build up to god for hubris and then the punishment is fracturing of languages and the well the incarnation is a way of drawing back to the one language of christ that then is 
was sent down again, not from a tower, but from like a temple into a holy city or something. So I think theologically, it's a matter of re-imaging, redeeming the world through the word. uh, And we have an ability as preachers, but as just Christian human beings to name things as they truly are and not as they might seem to be. Boom. Okay. That's awesome. That sets us up beautifully for... uh for the second half in which we will entertain, you know, like why, why crass language is even tempting in the first place. And then maybe advance some arguments, which will hopefully, I don't know, hold some water or bear some weight, or I'm going to mix a bunch of metaphors. So probably I should stop best there. So we'll catch you when we get back. This is God's planning. Get up to date on all our latest episodes at opeast.org slash godsplaining. And we're back. Thanks for sticking us here for another episode of Godsplaining. We're delighted that you have. Um, Here we're talking about whether uh, using crass language, cursing, swearing, described by a variety of names, uh, is sinful. And again, not so as simply to determine what's permitted and what's forbidden so we can have our language be as rosy as possible, but really to think more deliberately about how we use speech. I remember mm, I might have been in like middle school at one point. Um, my sister had a friend in college, uh, which friend gave her this book. It was a meditation on the letter of James. And um, it was very kind of hard hitting when it came to uh, every vain and idle word. And I remember that was like one of the first times I thought I started thinking about, you know, the character and quality of speech and uh, the fact that I was going to be called to account for it. So here we're just going to uh, meditate a bit more on on those themes. But uh, one of our brothers says that the most boring thing in the world is the answer to a question that hasn't been asked. And we really haven't made uh, the case, for, you know, we haven't made the case for using rosy language, as it were, as strongly as we can. So at this stage, let's just describe perhaps why it is tempting or why people find it to be delightful before addressing maybe how there are, how there are other and better goods at stake. So um, lead us into some existential thoughts about about crass language. Why, why, why is it even on offer? Yeah. I, I mean, I guess I was going to say we haven't, we didn't talk beforehand or anything about like how we're going to come out on this sort of question. (laughs) Um, so I actually don't know what the result is going to be on how, what you think about these sort of things, but, uh, so salty sailor talk just seems so desirable. There's a, I remember a little, uh, there's a little plaque outside my, my, my parents in the little, in their little town, in Virginia has a little plaque on outside a store that says profanity provides a solace to one that is denied even in prayer. And there's, there, I, there is just something that if we talk about um, language as describing the world as it truly is, there seem to be these moments where you don't, you don't choose to swear. Like there are plenty of times, let's say this, maybe this is a distinction that we'll come down on when you decide to deploy particular words in a particular setting. And you could think about curse, la- curse words or foul language in this. Like you, you choose them to make an effect or this sort of thing, uh, have an effect or something. But there's these other times, I think just existentially, like nailing your hand with a hammer or, I mean, when you slam your hand inside a door in a car, that basically all of being, <laughs> like the entire entitative existent cries out and works through you and you in a sense like harmonize with the universe and out comes sailor talk (laughs) and it seems like and it seems like there'd be no no other there'd be no better way to i mean there's 
do you'd be false to the reality without it. I remember there's a, a, Simps, a uh, Simpsons episode. Maybe you've you've seen this too, where Homer's he they get a swear jar and he's trying to stop swearing, and he puts a quarter in and such. And so then it shows like he's gotten used to this, and so he's he does a there's a montage where he like hammers his finger his his finger with the hammer and he goes ooh delightful and then he like steps he's got to hold it back and he steps back and then he steps on a on like a rusty tetanus inducing nail oh. and he pulls it up and he go, <laughs> and he goes oh. That will require a tetanus shot, um, and it's like the—it's so clear that no, there's supposed to be you're missing out on something here. So I think existentially, one, there's the kind of chosen swearing you could say, so voluntary swearing where it's desirable in the sense of the effect it might have on someone, and we all have these these sense because there's an uncomfortability sometimes if you bring in a sexual f- word or foul language that something just kind of—it's uh, comedic. You know, so it has that kind of effect to it. But then there's involuntary swearing, I would say, um, which just seems to, again, respond to the universe's call to you at that <laughs> given moment. Does that, I mean, does that, does that ring true? Do you have, do you, do you experience, that's how I, <laughs> I experience foul language are these two involuntary and involuntary ways. And I have particular, of course, moral valences to those <laughs> situations. Not to totally tell what's going to go on here. But yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, this is, this is an exploration. Um, no, I think that, uh, certainly in both cases, there is, um, like we talked about the purpose of speech being, you know, in part to name what is and to name it correctly. And there's something about certain situations that seems to merit a crass naming because they're just bad situations. <laughs> and and like you said, if you were to speak about it in other terms, it would almost seem disingenuous. I remember, you know, like uh, people do all kinds of crazy things at Franciscan University of Steubenville, you know, entertain all kinds of crazy notions. But I remember one particular athlete, uh, during a frisbee game, who had the wind knocked out of him, and once his breath did return, the first words to his lips were like "Praise you, Jesus," and it's just like I don't know. I mean, that's cool. I mean, I, I maybe I aspire to that. Maybe I don't. It's hard to say, but it's kind of wild, you know. Um, yeah, and 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 what is it about like particular crass words that seems to do the trick? Again, that's hard to say, but a lot of them have a kind of solid, sonic quality. You know, like they fill your mouth. They express very powerfully. They have a kind of you know, violent character to them almost. And then like, like you mentioned, you know, a lot of them have to do with kind of like bedroom and bathroom. So they, so they describe the human person in a kind of vulnerable state, or they describe the human person um, in a kind of debased state sometimes as it were. And I think that as a result of which they, they just have like a real emotional weight to them, um, a real emotional heft. And sometimes it, it feels good just to kind of swing that around especially like you said when you're giving vent to anger or frustration and especially if that anger and frustration is legitimate um and i think yeah maybe maybe that's maybe that's sufficient maybe that paints for us an adequate picture and now at this point like what is to be done with that you know like obviously you know we talk a lot about virtue on god's planning we talk about the way in which you can kind of you know train your mind train your heart and in this case train your tongue but like what would be reasons for which you know like convince me convince us you know like why why root it out if it if it is so excellent at naming terrible things well i think so again i think there's yeah between the involuntary and the voluntary we'll stick to the voluntary since uh that's where the moral kind of stuff comes in um although it's not like the involuntary doesn't have the same if some some part of it but um there is this like just the drawing down of conversation communication our human existence, it feels like. I mean, anyone just, even if we stick on the phenomenological level still in our experience of swearing, 
you know, when you start, like, one, if someone uses a crass word or something in a conversation in jocular fashion, then, you know, it's, it's, it can go on. But if, if you're around people who do it all the time, or if the conversation starts to get really into this way, it changes the color, the, 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 in a sense, the tone of it changes or the feeling of it. And it can't help, but I think debase is the right word. It just has that experience because it's, there's a cheapness to it. There's a kind of, um, I don't, yeah, there's, there's a, there's something about it that draws one down because the mind then, our mind attaches to words, the mind starts to go to play other places. And I think it does discredit the speech there. Also, I think, um, when you listen to it yourself is one thing, but listening to other people, you know, see it, if you, everyone has this experience, I think of wandering on the street or something and hearing some, some person just swearing up a storm around and you it's it's almost like incoherent human experience right i mean swear words or foul language works as like sprinkled about it's like the old food pyramid triangle thing where you know the very top is supposed to be with salt and oils and just kind of sprinklings on and but if it becomes like the main go-to you just there's something i I, this maybe sound like elitist or something (laughs) but there's just something lower i don't know i want to i want to say no offense to yeah just something about it that seems uncouth uh and 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 that could just be a manners thing there could be whole societies that have this language but i don't think that's true because of the fact that Foul language tends to be, as you say, bathroom, bedroom, kind of private stuff that's brought out and therefore has a jarring effect. And if you're using it as more than just a jarring effect for for a moment, then your whole language becomes jarred. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to kind of tease out one thing that you said, maybe just like a little bit further, this idea that um, it seems to drop the level of discourse. It's been my experience, again, just kind of phenomenologically, that uh, when where they're swearing, oftentimes there's like gossip or derision or detraction it seems like certain debasement of speech welcomes um other debasements of speech so it's not that like you know like you said like crass language necessarily and in say is a terrible thing um uh, although yeah maybe we are making that argument uh but that like in its wake tend to come other things of yeah a less excellent character it's just like and whether or not they're all of a piece. I, I don't think so, you know, but it seems like for whatever reason, it has this effect. Um, and then just to, you know, follow up on your description of you pass by somebody who's swearing up a storm. It is, it is jarring. And, and I think about this too, and this, you know, this may sound like crash gender stereotypes, um, but I notice it more when women curse than when men curse. It seems like strange the way that you might comment, like there are a bunch of people sitting around smoking cigars. And if a woman picks up a cigar, you're like, oh, you know, I, that's typically a thing that men do, not women. And it's like, okay, is that gender stereotyping? I don't know. Um, it's not terribly important. But if it's not appropriate for some, then you got to like have your argument prepared as to why that is the case. You know, is it like, mm-hmm. because men have general permission to be worse human beings? <laughs> well, that's correct, right? I mean, that's, that is certainly correct. Um, yeah. Well, there's, I mean, there's a sense of, I'm right. If, if, Okay, now we're going to start spinning out some weird stories, you know, and weird ideas in this. But I mean, it's time. Swear, swearing has this jarring, <clears throat> violent kind of uh, effect. And, you know, masculinity has this sort of jarring, violent, uh, unkempt. Women have this recept, this drawing, organizing principle kind of stuff. There's just something about that. Now, that's just 
that is totally speculative on my part, but it seems like it is jarring. I wonder if uh, if this was a call- ladies call in, let us know. Um, <laughs> if it's just as jarring if men are swearing as if like one of your own kind um, is is swearing. I don't know, but it does. It is it is more jarring, and the, but it could just be cultural expectations. But then again, then we're just pushing the, you know pushing the chicken the egg back a little bit further i suppose but i think it's to do with the violence and uncouthness and such to it there's some there's just some jarring about it um that that again is involved and i think you're right about the, the daughter you could say the daughters of, of foul language you know that kind of brings its friends with it um so that it's just hard to imagine someone who uses foul language all the time also not being uh, inclined towards gossip or or anger or bitterness or something, just some other things that draw that in. Now, of course, there's exceptions to every rule. I'm sure there's some English Don somewhere who just swears up a storm, but is actually delightful and serves tea at right times and such. <laughs> but I haven't met him. <laughs> hey, you may be out there. It's hard to say, though. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Maybe in the last couple minutes of the episode... Uh, we, you know, maybe, maybe there are people who are listening and they're like, I don't swear and I never would swear. And I don't know why I'm still listening to this episode. Okay. God bless. Maybe there's some people who are like, yeah, maybe these are somewhat convincing, but like, you know, what else should I do? I mean, it just, it feels so good. What would be like, you know, tips and tricks, ways by which to maybe root out swearing or root out crass language so that it becomes less habitual and so that it becomes less, you know, the, the, the go-to words in yeah, as you described. I mean, one, yeah, one practical thing I'm, is uh, you can switch to a different word. So you can switch to like frack. I remember picking this up in a book I was reading one time that obviously was designed for younger readers, maybe or something. So the, no, it was to send the future, and they don't use they don't use the regular swear word. They say frack instead. And I thought, oh, that's kind of that's nice. Yeah, look at that. And you try to use that. This is interesting. So then you start kind of using frack or something else or frick, you know, and. You kind of it goes out of your vocabulary because it doesn't fit. It doesn't work. But you found out that you've used that, but you've been you kind of like weaned yourself off it. So like for a practical thing, now I'm not saying that, you know, anyone can tell they're listening to God's pointing because they use frack <laughs> instead of F. But um they're they're so changing so that you can see that what it's actually doing and that maybe that gets back into its content as opposed to just its expletive value. Um could direct that a little bit. I think yeah, that's that's one. That's one. At least that's experience work for that was in my life. Not that I was running around swearing and such. Um, not again to say that. It, I mean, again, look. If you slam your car, hand in the door and you are not letting rip, <laughs> uh, I don't know you. You know. Yeah, I. Um, I mean, what, yeah. I mean, the the soap thing. Where, I don't know. It's hard to work when you're 35. I guess you could probably do that. Yeah, self administer swear a swear jar. I mean, ask your friends. You know, having a good friend who could tell you, like, hey, you know, yeah, am I doing better with swear with with swearing that kind of stuff? Um, yeah, I think I think like another thing too is that it kind of um, it motivates us to find the words to express the things because sometimes <laughs> when you listen when you listen to people who swear up uh, a storm. It, it's like they're using it as every part of speech. You know, it's like, did, did yes. he just use it as a conjunction there? Like, kudos to that guy, you know? Yeah. I see it. Drun that sucker. I see it as, in, like, interjection. I see it as adjective. I, I just I just didn't I didn't know that it could be used that way. But as a result of which, it has a way of just making all of your prose uh, kind of monochromatic. It's just like, you, you paint in one color, and that color is crap. Um, yeah. So I think there's also, like, there, there's got to be a real desire to know the things and to name the things well. And that's, that's, I mean, that's like just part of being a human being. That's part of having a life of prayer. That's part of kind of, um, I don't know, testing your, 
your thoughts about the world against the world and being constantly engaged. And I think that this is kind of what is meant by contemplative life. And this, this isn't like a highbrow thing. It's not like you should increase your vocabulary by 25 words each week. I'm not saying that. Punctilious. Um, it's more just like that, that part of our excellence as human beings is in uh, knowing what God gives us to know and naming it. And as a result of which, you know, having a kind of participation in his providence and in his dominion. And I think that um, if we have a real desire to know and to ask the Lord about the meaning of our lives and the meaning of our experiences, then I think that has a kind of effect. Um, and I think that, I mean, it's not unrelated to when people talk about the habit of recollection or cultivating the presence of God, because it's often described as like having a conversation with God, you know, or like having the name of the Lord on your lips. And it doesn't have to be something that's like kind of uber pious and judgy where like whenever anyone swears you're like yes the lord is worthy and we should use our tongues for his praise and glory no i'm not i mean i'm not saying that because you'll have no friends by the end of the day um but i am saying that or or you or you shouldn't and the ones you aren't you want to stay away from <laughs> yeah exactly yeah but that there's this sense that okay we can we can have access to reality we can know it we can name it and then we can share that with the lord and he shares himself with us and as a result of which we can have a real rich experience that doesn't necessarily require us you know to say to say rough stuff i don't know am i convinced by that not entirely um am i kind of gesturing towards something that might be convincing it's hard to say but yeah i think that's just kind of the nature of the discourse yeah, I, I, you know, I think everyone feels, everyone knows that there are po there are times when it would feel uncomfortable to swear around. I suspect there might be someone who's like, no, grandma, lo grandma loves when I do this sort of thing. <laughs> but the grandma test is always, everyone kind of knows that you, you, you should, and like anything, you know, you shouldn't use it in all circumstances. So the question is, is how much and feeling arguments for why you should not do those things. So yeah, if I suspect everyone kind of knows that salty language or foul language they're not it doesn't feel always great i'm sure everyone can think of a situation where they've used they've, they've used language that they didn't feel appropriate and then the question is can we say something bigger about that like why did it not feel appropriate there that sort of thing and i think that's what we're getting at with the fact that our language has this beautiful ability to explain and redeem the world it doesn't mean we're always redeeming the world with it but it means that it has at least the capacity for it and there are some linguistic acts that have no redemptive value, you might be able to say. And maybe perhaps that swearing at certain circumstances is like, you know, not has no redemptive aspect involved in it, um, such that it couldn't go anywhere other than you getting chastised, um, which maybe has redemption value to it. So maybe it's an Ophelix Culpa moment. I don't know. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, well, thanks. And uh, with that, we're going to wrap things up. So um, final thoughts include the following. Uh, please do uh, like and share because that's like the easiest way to evangelize. And you know, why not? What's not to love? Um, we're putting videos up on YouTube. They're just these episodes, but instead of simply hearing them, you can hear and see them. As to whether or not that's a desirable thing, we'll let you be the judge. Um, also, uh, other things include, oh yeah, please consider uh, supporting us on Patreon. So there's somebody who knows things about video and audio uh, and who's learning more of those things, who's helping us to edit and post and do everything that's kind of required on the back end because we're not good at it. Um, so anything that you can do to support the podcast basically goes towards supporting her and then helping with some upgrades to software and tech. So we're very grateful for that. And uh, yeah, that's about it. So our prayers are for you. Please pray for us and we will catch you next time on God's Planning.
Thanks for listening to God's Planning, a work of the Dominican Friars of the Province of St. Joseph. Visit us at opeast.org.